Welcome to 2024 and Behaviour RVN Series 2. Thank you so much for listening into Series 1. 15 episodes of amazing nurses, vets, special guests, and the numbers have shown that you are listening and hopefully you're learning as well. So thank you so much. I really do appreciate you taking the time to make this podcast successful. I don't know about you, but I am really enjoying it. It's really, really nice to listen to other people with an interest in behaviour and hopefully everybody can take something from each episode back to their practice, into their career, whatever makes it a lot easier for you and your animals and the caregivers that look after them. And hopefully the episodes that are about to come will be just as useful to you as well. So series two, got some really, really great people lined up to speak to and this is the first episode series two and it's Tabitha Kisera. Let's listen in. Just a wee word of warning, in this podcast there is a couple of profanities, nothing drastic but just to warn you. Hello and welcome to 2024 and Behaviour RVNs season two. Exciting and I thought, you know what, let's just start off with a bang and just go for some big name. And if you don't know who this big name is, my goodness, seriously get a grip. Because this woman has been such an inspiration to me for quite a number of years now. She really is study geek extraordinaire, person after my own heart. I love it. Uh, Tabitha Kisera. Now, if you don't know who she is, I'm going to let her introduce herself because she has so many titles after her name. She's like me. So Tabitha, welcome. Please introduce Thank yourself. Thank you so much for having me and for that amazingly kind intro. It means so much. I'm over here tearing up. Um, but yeah, I'm Tabitha. I'm from America, Cleveland, Ohio. All of you know where that is. Ha! Um and I own a cat and dog behavior consulting business called Chirps and Chatter. A little bit about me. I'm a registered veterinary technician because in America, we tend not to call each other nurses. Uh, we use the term tech technician, but that's a whole nother thing. Uh, I'm a veterinary technician specialist in behavior, a certified cat behavior consultant and a Karen Pryor Academy certified training partner. And then I work a lot with a lot of different organizations to provide behavior consulting, speaking, education, including Fear Free, uh, which we all love. And I'm actually a Fear Free Practice Certification Consultant. So that's just a little bit about me. Awesome. So first of all, straight up, nothing to do with behavior. I know that this um, podcast I started originally was to find out about other nurses and behavior. But for me, if nothing else, I'm so totally curious. We are in the UK registered veterinary nurses and it's not protected yet. We will get there. We are fighting to protect our title. But in the in the States, it's very, very different. And you've got LVTs and CVTs and BBDs and God knows what. So go and explain to this strange Scottish lassie all these different titles that you have. Yeah, and I think we actually have a lot of similarities because we tend to not use the term nurses, even though there have been some newer, I think, well-intentioned um, changing of a term, but it's something that is 
fairly controversial in the States because kind of the short of it is I'm a big fan of us being recognized because we also have a huge problem in America with veterinary technicians being recognized. We have minimal to no title protection, uh, even from our colleagues, let alone the general public. And I think with the Veterinary Nurse Initiative, I'm sure that they were coming from a good place where they were coming from as far as NAFTA, which is the organization that started that. But I think some of us struggle with that because we think our first goal should be just getting title recognition and utilization first, and then maybe teaching the general public what we are, why we're so amazing and the value, and then teaching our colleagues. So just changing a, a title, there's not a lot of power in that. And I think that they maybe thought there would be. So I think just like with behavior, right, we have to look at the underlying issues and address it. And we've understand, we understand what the issues are. We're not recognized by our own colleagues. People are just throwing the word technician. And like you mentioned, in Ohio and some other states, it's RVT. Some states it's CVT, which is credentialed veterinary technician. Some states it's licensed. All essentially the same thing, but we can't even get the same, like the, the, the essentially abbreviation. So it can be really confusing to people who are in the industry and not in the industry. But I, so we, we are really struggling here. And I'm so proud of you for saying you're working towards fighting for technicians because thankfully a lot of us, we have to fight this fight because there are some amazing colleagues who I love a lot, veterinarians, veterinary assistants, amazing CSRs, and even behavior professionals that I work with who aren't in the vet veterinary industry who are advocating for us, but damn, do we, it's a, I mean, I'm just going to be honest. It's really infuriating that we are in 2023, knowing the amazing value of veterinary technicians or veterinary nurses as they are in the UK yep. and how we can't even get just the basic, Hey, I went to school. I took boards. This is me. <laughs> we can't even get that, but we're working towards it. We're positive. We like to focus on the positive and behavior. Exactly. Mostly. And it, it is frustrating because I know how much study you've done, how many qualifications you've got, but even just your standard in the UK registered veterinary nurse, they have to go to college or university for like three, four years. And yet somebody off the street could come in and within a day call themselves a veterinary nurse. And the general public wouldn't know any difference. So, yeah, um, I'm a council member with the BVNA, which is British Veterinary Nursing Association. And we have a huge campaign going on for Protect the Title to try. I see and what you are doing. And yeah. I love it. So yeah. mad props because I, I love the UK. They're doing a lot of amazing things, especially with feline medicine and behavior. A lot of my mentors were UK based prior to america uh because again we all have our our strengths and the uk is doing some pretty amazing things and i i see you yeah i see that org you guys are killing it so please uh, keep it up you're not we're, alone we're it's so hard it is it's really hard and so but the thing is you, you you have to keep going you have to keep the battle going so that's so good so right anyway we're here to talk about behavior and <laughs> I've already done 15 episodes, spoken to various people. We are fear-free certified. We're low-stress handling certified. Okay. We have done the Karen, Karen Pryor. Um, 
you've done all that, as you've already mentioned. Fantastic. You've also done the VTS. Now explain the VTS to us, because this we do have a couple of VTS uh, nurses here in the UK, and I think I do have, I do know of one of them, Linda Ryan, who has done oh, yeah, her Linda. behavior. Yeah. yeah. So explain to us about the VTS. So the VTS is just a veterinary technician specialty. So similar to how there are veterinarians, which we have to go to a lot of schooling and take our boards as technicians and veterinarians, you can take it to another level and essentially become boarded in a specific topic. So I'm boarded in behavior as a veterinary technician, similar to how a veterinary behaviorist is boarded um, as a veterinarian. So that is a very long process and I understand it is not for everyone, nor would I recommend it. Um, (laughs) Not that I don't recommend it. It's just, I understand that that's not everyone's path and I did it in general practice. So I didn't do it working with a veterinary behaviorist, which I would love to see more technicians in general practice obtaining this specialty. So I do all I can to support and mentor because that practical application, VBs are amazing as well. I work with them all the time, but I think the practical applications and how much off the cuff and how quickly you, that just, again, it's not as simple as this person is seeing you for this consult. It's I'm in this moment in this appointment, I can help. Yeah, And it's amazing. So essentially it's a three to five year process, just a little bit about it. Every, every specialty, cause there's quite a few out there, which is awesome. Like emergency critical care, um, cardiology, there's so many, but there are so few of us. So I think currently there's 30, 31 VTSs in the world, um, in behavior. So we would love more, but it's, uh, essentially you have to work three to five years of course, you have to be a veterinary technician that has taken, or a nurse, as in the UK, and you have to do about 4,000 hours of behavior, so preventative and treatment. So a preventative would be something that probably a, many of you amazing people out there are already doing. So you're in the exam room, you have a kitten or a puppy appointment, and you're discussing those crucial things that we need to discuss regarding like preventing destructive scratching and meeting the cat and dog's needs and understanding the dog or a house soiling case comes in and you provide kind of some basic foundations of this is how does your home look how do what's going on with your cat's mobility this is the best litter box for them so that's more preventative treatment is once there's a diagnosis and then you're getting more into like fear related aggression to handling or or whatever it may be separation anxiety whatever it may be And then you also have to have about 50 case studies as well as peer reviewed article. Um, There's, there's a, it's a, it's a very in-depth process um, that is involved. And then after you submit all of that and that gets approved, you get to take a fun test. Um, So the test is- Test and fun, that doesn't go together, come on. (laughs) She picked up on my sarcasm. Um, So it's about 250 multiple choice questions, and then there's six to seven essays, and then there's also training videos. So you actually, it's one of the only specialties, understandably, where videos are also involved in the testing process, along with essays and multiple choice. So once you do all that amazing stuff, you become a VTS. (laughs) Whoa. 
Right, and for anybody listening that knows how much of a study geek I am, I am not going down this route. <laughs> and that's okay I, too. I, I do love the studying, but exams are just my downfall. And I did look at the VTS a couple of years ago when I started to really get into my behaviour. And I've spoken to various people that are either going through the process for a VTS of some sort and it's just not for me and I really do put my hands up and applaud people like yourself that do it because the work that goes into this is just amazing um, and when did you pa- when did you pass yours uh actually I recently it was uh what year is it 2020 it was 2021 oh wow uh so it's pretty recent um and like I I say I think I would love more VTSs. I do everything I can to support and mentor because I'll be honest, I had very minimal support, uh, but I am a persistent bitch uh, who is um, super passionate and stubborn to the point of my detriment. Um, and I wanted to get it done and I and I still can't believe it, but I, I did, but I'm not going to downplay the amount of work and also if this is not a path you want to go down, that's okay too, because I speak about how amazing vet techs are all the time. And I think sometimes the only thing that we talk about is VTSs, which is very, again, I highly recommend it. I think it's amazing. We're being, it's the, like, again, we're becoming boarded in a specific topic. Like you are the expert of experts. Um, But you can still be super productive and amazing and helpful and a badass tech, whether you're working in general practice or emergency or behavior, there's a lot of other credentials and ways you can further the field. So, cause sometimes I think vet techs see VTSs and they think that that's the only option. And I'll be honest, that is not applicable for all people due to the intensity of the work and a variety of other contexts. So there's so many other amazing things, like some of the credentials you work towards, we're always learning and just again, doing what we can to further the field. So keep it up all you badass technicians or nurses. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> so why why behavior then? Why did you go down the behavior route? Just in general. I mean, we all have different <laughs> interesting paths. So ultimately the, the long story short is uh, I, I'm a veterinary technician. I was working in general practice. Um, I was always about learning and going to CE. It was I could only afford, I'll be honest, and get vacation off. Many times I didn't get vacation for it, uh, which is another problem. Um, But I would go to a conference every year and uh, I happened to see Sophia Yin very, 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 very long time ago, as everyone can probably imagine. And I started, I was all about providing the best quality care, I think as many of us are, and I was like, I was taught, I call it, you know, traditional restraint, um, which are techniques I have not utilized in, in quite a long time because we're literally taught one for each species that escalates fear and stress. So we don't really set each other up for success, but she blew my mind and my mind was open. And you know how you pick your lectures ahead of time? Mm-hmm. My plan was to start in hers in the morning. I was there the whole weekend. I did not leave that room. So it started with actually not necessarily to me, we're biased, but not really everything is behavior. Literally Uh, everything is, but my first kind of intro into it was I'm dealing with a lot of painful, fearful, stressed out patients. 
a lot of us aren't taught what even stress looks like, to be fair. I know I wasn't taught much about body language. So I was like, oh, I just want to offer the best quality care and be the safest for my staff and just all of this lovely stuff. So I got really in, this was prior to Fear Free, which I also love. There was no other low stress people in my area. So I watched videos and practiced, which ideally you would go to a workshop and have someone who's better at it show you. Uh, but that was not an option back then. Um, so that's kind of how I started. And I just became the person that handles all the fearful animals. And as you can imagine, you start to get into behavior. But then secondly, because I work with cats and dogs, uh, I'm very well known for cats. Um, not on purpose. It just became a niche, I guess. And um, working in general practice, I would meet and euthanize a lot of cats on the same day. And what I mean by that is the, by the time the client recognized that their cat was maybe medically needed some medical help or was suffering, that cat was so sick that the most humane thing to do, right, was euthanize. So I've, I, and this is of course why I got into behavior. I'm a why person, which I hope most of us are out there in the vet world. But so I was like, why is this happening? Not the client's a dick, because that's not the case. The client was suffering. We were suffering. The It was just tragic for everyone. And I saw how much these people love their cats. And I was like, why is this happening? Whether, and then also behavior issues, obviously, are very present and unfortunately a big cause of relinquishment and human-animal bond breaking. So I started going down, because as veterinary professionals, we have access to more resources than most. Um, so I went to all these. And I was like, huh, all these behavior resources are shit and outdated. I'm just being frank. And I was like, and I knew that then where I knew, I knew so much less. Right. I was like, this makes no sense. Or they were so minimal to none. I was like, no. And then I had this like light bulb moment where I was like, this all makes sense. Why cats are being relinquished. Why people, why society creates this like angry cat stereotype, blah, blah, blah. And then, I mean, obviously I went down a path, got really into it, <laughs> but that's the short story of how I found behavior. And, and of course now I love everything about it. And I, I can't imagine doing anything else. Definitely. Are you still in general practice then, or are you just purely doing your own behavior and lecturing and everything that you do? Yeah, I left general practice a few years ago. Um, I was in general practice for about 11 years. And then I made the choice for for multiple reasons. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I'm very open about my mental health. I think it's really important for us to talk about. I was struggling a lot. I was the, I was the tech that implemented positive changes at four practices. And be that tech. Heck yes. But um, I'm, it, it, it is a very large mental physical, emotional thing to do. And I'm so proud of those and happy I had those things because that I'm such a better teacher because of all those experiences. Um, but I chose to left pra general practice to start my own business because uh, I was seeing a lot of behavior cases in general practice. Obviously, I got my VTS there. but um, And then shortly after leaving, even though it was a huge choice and I was like, I'm not a tech, you are a tech. Ah, but I went through that dumb... Rah, you are a tech. Um, and then my, my business like blew up and I was like, oh, I should have done this 
years ago. <laughs> um, and I always offered, because again, like when I was in GP, I sometimes if you didn't have time to discuss things that I felt were important or I wasn't allowed allotted that time. So legit, I, I'm a persistent girl. So I was like, I'm just going to have a lecture at a library and talk about medicating cats. And if two people come or TNR, trap, neuter, return. And I'm like, if two people come, I'm going to help one person and connect. And now I'm speaking, my speaking schedule is full for the year. I'm speaking at, but it was, I started just wanting to educate more. And thankfully I really love people, which helps you be a better speaker <laughs> too. But yeah, now my career is all over the place. So don't limit yourself, veterinary professionals out there. You never Absolutely. know. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, the, the amount that you do is just unbelievable. So talking off one of the things that you've done and you've already mentioned it a couple of times is fear free. Um, why? Simple question. Simple question. Because a lot of people have no idea, especially over here in the UK, it is becoming a bit more popular. We have had recently our first free, fear free certified practice. Um, there are a few professionals, but we've had the very first practice in the UK come be completely certified. Um, so, yeah, for those that don't know about it, why fear free? I know we're trying to get over there, UK, you amazing people. Um, and I'd be happy to come over and help. <laughs> I'm not going to not say that. I'm obsessed with the UK. Your comedy is the best kind. Anyways, that dry, beautiful wit. Oh, uh, but Fear free is essentially, so it's interesting, right? Handling is such a big part. Handling and interacting with animals, whether you are a pet sitter, a trainer, a vet tech, this is such a huge part of our jobs. Yet, as a field, animal welfare and vet med, we don't really focus much on it and we don't really treat it as a skill set, which has been really interesting to reflect on now that I teach it for a living. Um, so thankfully low stress handling, Sophia, again, all of this amazing foundation, which a lot of her stuff is still practical. Obviously we've adapted it with the times cause things change. And then with fear free, same idea where it's all about addressing the, not only the physical well being, which I think in vet med, thankfully, I feel like we've been fairly good at that. That hurts. Let's help. <laughs> um, but the emotional well-being is something, even in the human world, I'm very proud of where we are now. We're finally addressing that mental health is health, but let's be honest, it's a newer thing. And this is a newer thing with animals too. So Fear Free was kind of a movement created to address the, the physical, but also emotional well-being of animals. And I work with Fear Free. I've written some modules for them. I'm a Fear Free coach and speaker. And then I also help to certify practices. So I'm very involved in them with them. Um, and the fact that there's only a few organizations dedicated to handling blows my mind because it's such a big, like, I love iCat Care. Love, love y'all. Uh, I love, um, I love low stress, even though we, they definitely have to work on updating some things. And I know they are because again, that that's important to know. And I love, um, cat vets, but they haven't really put out any newer information in quite a while. It's okay. <laughs> um, so I think Fear Free has been great, especially because Fear Free really brings in a lot of different voices. 
So there are so many people contributing, but these people have been vetted. So <laughs> they're, it's not, not that I don't love a blogger, but I want my mechanic talking to me about their car. I don't want to Google it. I don't know shit about cars, right? So that's always the example I use. I can't even change my own oil and that's okay. Um, <laughs> so I, I know. So I love Fear Free because essentially they have online modules where you can become certified. And these are about eight hours each and they have different levels because of course, like with anything, as we're learning new things, we have to start one place and then continue to learn more. And then they also have resources for, I love this too, groomers, trainers. We're working on building up the shelter program because that's, I work a lot in animal welfare and they need help. Um, so I would love to see more of that, but essentially it's a learning platform that provides resources on how to address both the physical and emotional well-being of the animals we work with. And there's everything from the modules, but then there's also a lot of side webinars. I did a webinar last night. Yeah, about I was there, not one o'clock in the oh. morning. <laughs> oh my God, you just told me you sleep early and you were awake. You could have watched uh, the recording. I, I, uh, I was, I was, I didn't see it all, but I was up and I saw a little bit of it um, before my internet decided to crash. And I was just like, oh, typical. <laughs> but we talked about uh, non-food motivators, right? So it's great because there's so much wonderful, they're always updating it. It's always with so many amazing colleagues and mentors. And I'm just always learning too, which is something I really love about Fear Free, that there's just so many voices. Not that one person isn't awesome, but I think I'm good, but I don't want you to just hear from me. That's silly. Um, all of our experiences are valid and helpful. Um, so that's just a little bit about Fear Free, where essentially we talk about decreasing the stress in the environment because you may be like my vet or shelter it's stressful you are correct but good news is you have a hell of a lot of control of that environment more than you think exactly. and there's little cheap or free things you could do to decrease the stress for that animal and the staff and humans every single day so it's not just about how we handle animals but it's also how we communicate with humans and animals. It's about how we can set up the environment to decrease stress. So we're kind of thinking of it from multiple aspects because I love a towel handling technique that has been practiced and taught appropriately because hot take, tossing a towel over a cat is not handling. Hot take. Um, towel handling is a skill and handling is a skill and we need to practice. Um, but again, it's, it's great because it goes even more because if you're doing amazing handling, but the environment's horribly stressful or we can't communicate about this pre-visit pharmaceutical to the client, we just say, your cat's scared, give them this, which isn't the best way. I understand why that client may feel a certain way about that communication style, um, but it goes into all of that. I know that was a really long explanation, but... <laughs> No, it's fantastic. And it is such an important thing for every single member of staff to look at as well. Because as you say, it's not just in the consultation room, it's in the waiting room. It's the education of the client beforehand, how they get the cat into a carrier, things like that. All these things can be made so much better for the animal by the time it gets to us. It's FAS level, it's fear, anxiety, stress level is reduced if we can help them to make things a lot better beforehand. And the other thing that you're very good at, which I have already learned on quite a few courses from you, is cooperative care. 
you are so wonderful. You're so kind. Um, I'm going to buy you a drink when I'm there. Um, so I didn't pay her to say these things. <laughs> uh, yeah. So cooperative care, I think a lot of us, right. In Batman, not only are we passionate about handling because it's such a big part, but of course that the second thing that comes along is cooperative care, which is essentially when an animal plays a part in their own care. And that can look a lot of different ways, right? I personally feel that every interaction with an animal, we all know that every interaction we have with an animal or a human, they're learning, they're forming uh, associations, which is awesome. But also every interaction I have with an animal can be cooperative care. And, and that's something that I think some of us don't realize. Not that I don't love teaching because there are things called consent behaviors, which many of you are probably familiar with, where you teach the animal to maybe go to a mat is something I utilize a lot, or I don't utilize chin rests as much. Everyone teaches their own, but they're great too. And when the dog puts his chin down onto the towel or your hand, that's him essentially saying proceed. Um, and when he lifts his, up, his head up, that's him saying stop. So again, you're giving them some form of control. And even though we can't always necessarily do that, right? In a true emergency, if that animal has a history of handling when they're not painful, handling with treats and love and other things that they enjoy, as you can imagine, when it does come to them not feeling well, they can tolerate that better and return to baseline sooner. So cooperative care is all about essentially the animal playing a part in their care. But I think fear-free has in low stress and all of these other things has, has given me a lot of tools to essentially interact with all my patients in a cooperative care way. For example, if I'm doing a vaccine or an exam and then a vaccine and then maybe blood work, I may pause for a second and that pause doesn't look like me stepping away. See, I think we have to define, right? Stepping out of the room, which sometimes it might, it might just be me lifting my hands up, doing a play session, and then when the cat looks at me, touching them again with the touch gradient and then giving the vaccine. So again, essentially we're communicating with each other. And a big part of that is us understanding their body language. But these are things I think some of us are like, we can't do this in everyday practice. You can. Oh, you can. Oh, you and can. And you probably are doing some forms of it if you are a very skilled handler, which again, unfortunately, there's very few resources out there to learn those skills, trust me, as the girl that was in her house for years working on videos. Um, but thankfully it's it's getting more accessible. I still am surprised that we don't have more, but it's it's amazing how far, I'm sure you you felt the same way. It We Definitely. get frustrated, but our field has really, it's, it's came far and we're treating humans better too, which is wonderful. Definitely. I think that's probably the one good thing that came out of COVID, the pandemic, was the fact that so much went online and so much more became accessible to a lot of people. And it's and COVID also had a lot of good things about your mindset with the way veterinary practice is set up, as in waiting rooms really aren't a great place to be. And looked how it worked when we couldn't have them in a waiting room during the pandemic. So a lot of places are beginning to think, right, how can we make this better for the animal? Can we ask them to stay out in the car where they're more comfortable with their, their caregiver? 
can they go for a walk and we can phone them when we're ready if they have a dog things like that rather than sitting in a really busy noisy waiting room so that's it's always changing isn't it we're always expanding we're always learning and it's people like you and me that are really trying to push the the, the word of behavior is for everybody and yes we do have our little niches that we and like you and I are going down that route but certainly it's something that has been mentioned a couple of times before by previous speakers on this podcast is that behavior is for everybody we all have to learn body language human and animal um and it can make our job so much easier if we if we do it properly yeah i i'm i'm a huge fan of making behavior accessible to all because also it's we all know like susan freeman says the cultural fog that our clients are bringing being exposed to where we see a lot of tragic and traumatic things i know there's a lot of things happening in the uk now which is infuriating and devastating which we won't get into um, just don't go there. <laughs> but I'm sure everyone is familiar with what, what I'm discussing. And these things are are really challenging, but it just shows you the huge lapse in understanding things. So yeah, I think making teaching it in a way, making it accessible to everyone in a way that because people love animals genuinely. I I've I work really rough animal welfare cases. Um, and I've seen some, I mean, I'm not gonna, I've seen some pretty horrible things, but people are genuinely good. Uh, it's just, there's, I'm also aware of what they're being pre-exposed to constantly, whether we're talking about National Geographic, whether it's vet or behavior, ah, there's yeah. no science at all. It's such a fun channel. Um, or again, so I think the more of us out here educating people in a fun way, not shaming or judging them or yelling this punishment stuff um the the better and i'm seeing that like i mean you mentioned with fear free for example i teach clients how to advocate for their pets which happens to also help veterinarians um it's like a win win so or another thing i commonly do is i educate my clients whether i'm doing a lecture to the general public or a behavior client on what a veterinary or credentialed veterinary technician is and that when they're looking for a practice that they should ask how many of us are on staff. And I explained to them that unfortunately, like in some states here, it's like literally it's some states it's better than others, but there's some states where it's woo. Um, we're literally a 15 year old will be monitoring their cat's anesthesia, which is severely. And I'm worried about that 15 year old too, who's going to deal with the loss of that. The, and when I explain this to clients, obviously I explain it. And I'm just like, I just want to let you know, this is what a technician and you, I planted a seed also to be kind to vet staff. If I ever hear my clients, I hear animal welfare people that I work with casually saying like money and um, we nip that in the butt. We unpack that together. And I'm like, I'm going to bust these myths all over and not yell, but like, Hey, let's unpack that. Let's let's discuss that. But then this person is now looking for, and the more of us, the more of our clients going in and saying, how many RVTs do you have on staff? And I, I wish that that was just a normal thing. And it is infuriating that it isn't. But the more of the people requesting that, same thing with advocating. Like the more people that realize, I'm sure you come through this a lot too, where some people where 
they just think, I remember I was doing a vaccine clinic and I, I'm doing the way I handle no matter where I'm at. And they legit asked me after, cause I had to do microchips because these animals were already spayed and neutered context. Um, and nail trims and all those things that aren't fun. And they were like, the animals don't scream with you. And the animals, and they were, I, I love the fact that they were honest and asked that. And the fact that they said, can you like, can we talk about that? And I taught them all, of course I did. Oh my gosh. But I'll never forget the one person who saw me cut a few dogs nails and it was really, this was a long time ago, but it was really eye-opening for me because I think we forget other people's perspectives. And she just did a few things just by watching that I did with her dog and it went really well. And she, this is sad to say, but this is real. She, we've normalized some pretty traumatic things. Um, So a lot of my clients think that she thought that five people sitting on her dog and her dog being so, so severely short-term and long-term traumatized, she thought that that was normal. She did. So she called me crying after cutting her dog's nails because she guilt-tripped these amazing caregivers. Like, friend, you were doing the best with what you knew. Um, but I think it's a lot of, it's similar to humans, right? Like when I, a lot of us, a lot of when it comes to using positive punishment and training tools that we don't recommend, but I know how to utilize because I understand learning theory, I think it can be challenging sometimes. And then I remember, oh shit, punishment's conditioned the fuck in our society. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Uh, in America, our prison system, don't get me started. Um, so it helps you have more empathy, but the more we unpack this stuff, I mean, I'm getting deep, like philosophy, but the power yeah, but of unnormalizing trauma with handling, it's, I don't, yeah, sorry, it's deep, it's deep. But it's important, isn't it? I mean, I, you're right. I have had the same situations with even something something simple as second vaccinations on puppies. Our vets do the first ones, we do the second ones. And you get the, the care cover that comes in and they're like, oh, they squealed the last time. And sometimes they say that before you vaccinate. And sometimes they say that after you vaccinated. And meanwhile, you've got your adaptive sprayed blankets and the primula cheese and the puppy's happy and I'm vaccinating and they're like oh that's not what happened the last time and it's just all about education isn't it and this is where people like you are like so important for doing that because ignorance can be bliss can't it it's if you don't know any better then you're not going to know how to do it better and I just think that we really do have to learn. This is why I'm assuming it's, it's the same in the States where you have to do continuing education every year to keep your yeah. certification. It's exactly the same for vets and nurses here in the UK that you have to do so many hours a year in order to retain your certification with the Royal College. And some people are like, oh my goodness, I have to do all this education. And you're just like, well, yes, you have to. You have to be better. You have to be much, you have to be better tomorrow and like forget about yesterday and just constantly learn and this is where you come into that with chirps and chatter and all the things that you have on your website and your speaking and all the put your podcast oh my goodness 
I have listened to your podcast. It is hilarious, people. Um, and it's not only just about veterinary stuff, as you've said, it's also about mental health stuff as well. And it's really quite thought-provoking. Um, it's funny. It's very, it's, it's just typical Tabitha. From what, I've, from what I've seen of you and from what I've heard of you and learned from you on various courses, it's just like an absolutely brilliant podcast. So I will be putting a link in the show notes for people to go and listen to your podcast as well. But tell us about Chirrups and Chatter and what you provide to the general public, to the veterinary profession. Yeah, so I started my business quite a long time ago. Um, and I, of course behavior consult. So unfortunately I don't see much preventative, but that's okay. Um, that's where speaking and other things fill my cup. Uh, I see mostly severe behavior concerns. And then I do see a lot of cooperative care cases, but my cooperative care may look a little different. So most of my cases, I have FAS, which is a scoring system that we use in the fear for fear free, but high fear and stress cats and dogs who may have exhibited fear-based behaviors, fear-based aggression, um, towards staff, and we have to safely sedate them um, emotionally and physically. So those are usually some of the cases I work, but I see clients all across the country. I actually have quite a few clients in the UK, which is super awesome. Time zones are dumb, but besides that, um, so yeah, I see general severe behavior concerns for cats and dogs. So the things you would think like inner dog aggression, inner cat aggression, house soiling, a lot of fear-related behaviors to handling. Um, Cause that's kind of my jam, us in vet med and behavior, that's our jam. Um, but then I also offer education. So I am so thankful that people have been so receptive and open to me teaching. Um, but I speak at a lot of conferences, but also I do veterinarian and shelter consultations. And that may look like, okay, you want to implement an enrichment program or you want to implement fear free. Cause again, behavior, woo. Um, there's a lot of paths we can go there. Um, and I either come to their shelter or vet clinic for a day. Sometimes I stay for a week because I offer more consulting services. So I'll do a fear-free handling workshop and then maybe hang around the shelter or the veterinary clinic, get a vibe of the staff, talk to people. And then we might come up with where to start based on what, how implementing what, what I just taught. Cause I love education, but sometimes it can be challenging on how to, cause we get so stoked that were like, we want to do all the things. And then you might shut. I'm sure many techs are like me where you learned all this stuff. You got super stoked, ran to the boss and you overwhelm them and they shut down. Yeah. Um. So we have to shape behavior, right? Break it down into small steps. So I work with the shelter or the vet staff to do that based on their individual resources and needs, right? Because it's just like animals. Um. I also offer peer-to-peer -peer consulting. So I have so many amazing colleagues and thankfully I have a lot of friends that I can talk to cases about because working by yourself is rough, but thankfully I have tons of amazing smart people in my life that I can talk to. But also I realized that that's something that may be a helpful service. So I talk to other behavior professionals, a lot of awesome cat behavior professionals where they consult with me on a case and I just provide my feedback. Um, and assist. And sometimes just talking through a case, we all know that you're, you're just saying this, the thing to a colleague or a friend and you're like, shit, I never thought of that door. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I offer peer-to-peer -peer consulting. And then, um, I think that's, yeah, 
sorry I'm like is that everything uh yeah there's so much on your website there is so much on your website it's just amazing I mean you can download stuff you can go on courses with Tabitha um I've done a few um I did your cooperative care with you and Jessica uh, and and I actually put it into practice for uh we get a lot of Romanian rescues coming into the UK but particularly again because of the pandemic there was a lot of people looking for animals a lot of imports were brought in that were taken out of their environment that they were used to they were brought into environments that were completely different and then obviously had to be handled and I have one case in particular where this dog was just not handleable at all and after doing some of the work that I learned from you and Jessica on the corporative care and an absolutely fantastic caregiver and this is why it's teamwork it has to be teamwork we managed to get the dog vaccinated without a muzzle just through corporative care with a chin rest with treats and allowing the dog to say to us I'm ready and it was brilliant and I was just like yes that's why we do it those amazing we deal with sad stuff the world can be rough sometimes but that is such a like, I think that's why we do it. Cause another thing I work with a lot of veterinary behaviorists and veterinarians where they did an amazing job diagnosing the issue, um, and prescribing the correct medication, especially with cats. Uh, I work with some amazing BBs in Canada and some other countries where they will then refer to me to help the client be able to happily get the cat to take the medication. Because again, that veterinarian's amazing. They diagnose, they prescribe the right thing. But if the the client can't give it, especially if it's an anxious animal and it's an anti-anxiety med and the poor client has to chase the animal, uh, you know, so there's a lot of ways. I'm very thankful because although I do work for myself, I get to collaborate and work with so many amazing shelter, behavior, veterinary professionals. And I've learned so much. I mean, I, I joke, but I'm like, yes, I've learned a lot, but because I get to travel and see all these vet clinics and shelters, I learn so many tips and tricks from these amazing people. So it, I selfishly, I, I have a heads up because I get to meet all these. <laughs> I get to be some bonuses. <laughs> I know I get to meet all these amazing people. And I, I tell people I heard this tip from, but it's so cool because when I was in general practice, that was awesome too. But I think all of us can get a little, closed in box thinking, right? Now that's like non-existent in my brain because I'm I'm working with so many different people in so many different ways with so many different behavior things. And I'm sure I do still sometimes. I think I'm actively trying to, if I have an assumption in my brain, I'm like, get that shit out of there, girl. Like, let's let's get more data. Let's, um, so now my my brain is thankfully just being conditioned to not think inside the box at all, which is, I love, but it's a skill that takes a while. And a lot of it is all the awesome people I get to consult with all the time. That's brilliant. And so what, what's the future holding? What's 2024? What's, what's the plans? I have a lot of plans. Don't we all, everybody? Um, so uh, my speaking schedule is full. So if any of you are in the States, cause I'm mostly in America speaking, um, I may be doing some private gigs out of the country, but um, uh, you can find all my events on my website. We're doing the Calm Confident event that you attended. Again, 
which is virtual this year. I think it's coming up in February. It just went live recently. So if you're interested, there's only 50 spots available, but we'd love to have you. Um, and then like non-sexy goals from a professional standpoint is I'm up, up, updating some of my software for scheduling. I'm trying to get more financially literate. Again, unsexy business stuff, guys. Um, <laughs> and then I, I've written a few courses uh, and that's something I, I really am striving to do. Hence the new software is learning the software and getting those courses on the platform, including a medicating your cats course, which will be, um, directed towards all audiences. So vet med, shelter med, general public, again, accessible, practical things that people can do to medicate their cats. Cause I'm a little passionate about that. We all know it's a really big problem. And I had a revelation at VMX last year um, because there's all these, because pain is my second favorite thing on top of behavior. Um, and I was seeing like Shelly Robertson and Tamara, all these people that motivate the hell out of me and inspire me. And they were all talking about pain, of course. And in every lecture, um, and D Duncan LaSalle, like duh, all these amazing people in every lecture, they were mentioning how challenging it is to give meds. And of course I know that that's a lot of my cooperative care cases are clients that can't give their cats meds. Um, but it was a revelation because I was like, our field is so aware of this. And instead of, and I mean, by our field, I mean, Zoetic, all these large orgs, all of like our conferences, all of it. I'm not throwing shade at specifically one person. I mean, as a field, we're aware of this humongous problem. There are solutions because people like us exist. Um, more than me. Like there's other colleagues that are amazing at this. Yet no org is do like investing in funds or education or resources. Instead, we're making injectables. And I'm not mad about injectables, but isn't that interesting? Instead of, it's just weird to me. Like we should maybe be providing, hey, Zoetis, you could do an hour webinar about how to give med. Like these things are so accessible and easy and cheap. Exactly. Yet we're like, fuck it. Let's just make injectable everything. Which doesn't solve the problem a lot of the times anyway. But I love injectable. So. I mean, I love it, but it's just, <laughs> you're right. Or we're making um, transdermal, which again, I love yeah. that mm -hmm. more because a lot of transdermal drugs aren't processed. Like again, the animal's not getting consistent dose every time. So I love that we're working. Again, those are amazing things we're working towards. It's just interesting to me that which is what motivated me to be like, okay, girl, you got to, I know it's a lot of work, but you got to write this course. Good. And that's what we need. We need more Tabithas in the world to, oh, to spread the word, to make everybody aware that you don't scruff a cat, you don't pin a dog down, and we can all work together as a team. Which and what to do instead, yes, right? Like Because I know it could be challenging out there. I, I know what I was taught. Again, I don't think we really set up each other for success and we don't really treat handling as a skill in our field, which is problematic in its own right. But it's getting better. Yay. Yeah. Because definitely. of awesome people like you. <laughs> We've got to get there. We've got to get there. And if we don't do it, then who else is going to do it? We have to be yep. the influence. So that's why I was just like, no. I've got to speak to Tabitha. And we've already been at it for nearly an hour. And I'm thinking, no. We've got we've got things to do. Like it's getting late here. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's getting late.
getting really late here. So I've got one question. Last year, I had a question that I asked everybody. So this year, I'm changing it up to ask a new question. So for series two, the question is going to be, if you were a dog or a cat, what breed would you be? That's so funny because I have thought about this. <laughs> um, see, I don't know. I feel like it's cliche, but I feel like I would be a cattle dog. Oh, no, uh, don't get them very often over here. Because we don't get them as often. They're one of my dream dogs. But right now I have six super senior animals and I travel a lot and I love them. But it would be very unfair to do that to my partner or anyone. Um, but I think an Australian cattle dog, because their focus is amazing and beautiful, but also they're really chaotic <laughs> in their, in their approach. Of course, I'm like humanizing them a bit. Right. Um, and they need very, they need so much enrichment and exercise. Uh, I started running recently and I don't know how I survive without it. Cause I just always need to be fidgeting or moving. Um, and I have so much energy and passion, which is awesome, but it can also be to my detriment to the point where you threw that ball for five hours. It's going to hurt for me to get up, but I'm still going to go get it <laughs> instead of take a nap. Yep. Um, so yeah, that would probably be, and they're, I mean, obviously breed is just a, one part, but they're also very like high energy, loving, well, like bubbly kind of like similar to a lab, like just goofy. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I would be. So from Tabitha, the Australian cattle dog in Ohio, <laughs> thank you so much for spending time to speak to Scotland. It's been much appreciated. And I, as I say, I will share uh, in the show notes, the links to Tabitha's website and her pod her own podcast. Please go and take a listen. It will really make stop and think. Tabitha, thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. And we should totally catch up non-recorded at some point soon. <laughs> no problem. You take care. Bye. Isn't Tabitha a breath of fresh air? Um, doing her podcast recording was a much needed boost for myself and hopefully you've all enjoyed it too definitely check out our own podcast it really is hilarious and the knowledge that this lassie has is just beyond extreme um she does say that she does um uh, she forgot to mention about the cat vets new guidelines so ahp and isfm have brought out new amazing guidelines in the last year or so so check them out as well i know we've talked about them before in the podcast so next episode will be a cat theme i'm going to go down a little cat theme route for the next couple of episodes and the next person on the podcast will be a lovely registered veterinary nurse who i've met i worked alongside and be with bvna staff and it's the lovely joy shut in wales um so join us for that episode soon